Welcome to Unbossed, Unbothered, and Unfiltered. I'm your host, Lauren Green. Join me as we navigate political communications ups and downs and ins and outs of our day. My guests and I promise to give you the history, the real, and the ideal. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to Unbossed, Unbothered, and Unfiltered. I'm your host, Lauren Green. After this most recent Supreme Court session, there were two buzzwords that seemed to be on the lips of everyone. Christian theocracy. If you've been listening to my show for a while, then you know that issues of faith are something we discuss, and I wanted to bring in someone who has experienced this personally and professionally. I know Pastor Ben Mann because we attended the same church in Washington, D.C., and were both there the day it was attacked by white supremacists who were upset about our inclusive theology. Fresh from Denver but raised in Oklahoma, Ben Mann has spent a career-long obsession with growing dynamic campaigns and ministries. From a humble beginning of raising funds for a small adoption agency to recently filming the international smash Coming Out Colton, available on Netflix, Pastor Ben considers their top value a commitment to excellence. Presently, they serve as senior pastor at Metropolitan Community Church of the Rockies, part of the MCC Network, an international gathering of churches founded within the LGBT community. Here, they share the joy of Christ's vision with an intergenerational diverse congregation that seeks to serve the marginalized. In addition to this work, they serve as the chaplain at the University of Colorado Hospital, where they counsel and support families in the transgender clinic and beyond. Beyond the persistent pursuit of learning and justice, Pastor Ben is pet parent to Aster, their rescue dog, and an avid fan of karaoke. When not working, they enjoy spending time with friends and family, as well as cooking and hosting dinner parties. If they could share one mantra, they would reiterate something that a former boss told them. Bloom where you are planted. I'm excited to welcome to Unbossed, Unbothered, and Unfiltered, Pastor Ben Mann. Hello, Pastor Ben. How are you? I'm doing well, Lauren. It's good to see you again. Good to see you. Um, so the way this kind of goes is we're gonna kick it off with our school and life segment where people are gonna hear a bit about you and what you do and sort of how you arrived in this place. Sure. Um, so I grew up uh, in Oklahoma, uh, full-fledged full red stater um, and attended Baylor University for my undergrad, which is the hotbed of Baptist life, the largest Baptist institution in the world, um, at which, uh, which uh, was a place where it both sparked uh, my understanding of politics really for the first time and my understanding of my faith in conjunction with a sense of justice. And so at that time, I wasn't really uh, out of the closet, really living fully into myself. And so I chose to uh, migrate over into the nonprofit sector where I have spent the majority of my life in advocacy, almost explicitly in the public health sphere. Mm -hmm. um, until very recently, uh, about six years ago, I attend, I decided to make the leap from um, layperson to clergy, uh, went to seminary, love seminary, and now find myself uh, serving uh, a predominantly LGBTQ plus church, a historically queer church, uh, in a historically queer denomination. Um, and they have located me in Denver, Colorado. It's the Metropolitan Community Church of the Rockies. I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with the MCC uh, all around the world. And, um, and I'm also serving as an ethicist and a chaplain at the University of Colorado Hospital. So it's kind of a multifaceted thing. But I've 
I've done lots of school. I could, if I sat here and listed all of my schooling, um, that might bore your your uh, listeners. Although I am uh, very proud to be studying to become a therapist. So that's like my next iteration of ministry and crossover is working working with families and individuals, especially on trauma. And I work with a lot of um, transgender individuals mm -hmm. as they are seeking their spiritual and, and psychological nourishment for going through that process. Absolutely. Understood. Um, and so I appreciate sort of all of the perspectives that you bring to this conversation. Um, but to sort of start with a bird's eye view, like a lot of what we're hearing right now in the media is tied to Christian nationalism, right? So we just got through a really tough Supreme Court session, sort of honestly from A to Z on a host of different topics. And so Christian nationalism and Christian theocracy is becoming this buzzword. And so to sort of give people a crash course, what exactly is that? Absolutely. Um, Christian nationalism is essentially a misinterpretation of Christian scripture and the upholding of fundamentalist evangelical views on Christianity uh, that promotes this idea that that the United States or the developed world should be, um, that all democracies should be actual Christian theocracies, um, that they should uphold um, a sense of ethos and mor morals that reflect the, those specifically um, described in scripture, which is highly dangerous, uh, obviously for a number of reasons and goes against many of the principles that this country has upheld for, for centuries now. Um, I come from uh, a family that of where there is Christian nationalism. I know that you, Lauren, come from Texas. Um, I remember uh, during my time at Baylor seeing billboards that, and this was in the late 90s, uh, promoting, uh, promoting this concept. Um, that God should rule or that Jesus should be um, our president. And um, it's a very narrowly drawn, um, explicit uh, request. And if we're getting really real, it's really the narrative of, of white, uh, heteronormative, cisgender, wealthy, uh, predominantly in middle class um, individuals in, in faith communities that, uh, that are really boosting um, the, this narrative and, and promoting it and, and did their work. You know, over the course of the last 50 years, especially with Roe v. Wade, um, can't can't fault them for pursuing their politics rigorously. But um, I I find it highly dangerous um, and um, and problematic on a number of fronts, both theologically, personally, and politically. Gotcha. And so you, while noting all of that, what I think really stuck out to me is the notion of it being a misinterpretation. So um, what particularly do you think is being misinterpreted? Sure. So maybe misinterpretation is taking it a, a step too far, but it, this is an age-old problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is an ancient Christian issue, um, even before we understood or used that word Christian. Uh, if you hearken back all the way to the beginning of the, the biblical narrative or the Christian uh, the, in the Christian Bible, how the Christians have organized the Bible, um, the people of God have always gone through this kind of transference of power and and, um, and how they understand their power to the state versus their power to their power with um, and from God. Um, and so there's just this this habitual cycle um, that we go through, and it, and we've never learned. <laughs> we continue to perpetuate this cycle, and it usually starts with the people of God um, for, uh, 
seeing the opportunity of culture, seeing uh, that they have the opportunity to maybe overwhelm and control culture, God warning them not to do that mm -hmm. in the narrative and saying instead, don't focus all of your attention and uh, on the struggle of maintaining this power, this human power, give that over to me, give that attention to me and live in, live in community, live in service, live in, uh, and that's, that is the actual kingdom, putting the marginalized above uh, the powerful. Of course, the people ignore this directive, do assume control of the state. Um, and there's, uh, this is even Old Testament stuff that I'm talking about. God become, seems to become displeased with that, takes a step back and allows the, uh, allows the world to essentially subsume the people of God, even to the point of slavery, um, mm -hmm. ca casting them down um, to the lowest rungs of the societies that they um, were trying to overwhelm uh, with, their, with their power structures. And then the cycle starts over. They become humble. They supplement. They supplicate. They say, God, you are you are you are right. We understand now what this relationship is meant to be, um, and and then God, of course, re-enters the space with them and, and brings them back uh, to a place of at least safety. Brings mm -hmm. the, and so this is the story of the the ancient um, Israelites, the the story of those who followed many times over and over, and has been the story of the Christian church as well, where we have faltered and fallen um, over the course of the last thousand years. Um, and so that's what I think is happening now. <laughs> We're just entering uh, this time where there's a resurgence of mm -hmm. this ancient of this ancient story happening again, where where mis people who claim that mantle of Christianity are misinterpreting, are not seeing that that's what they're doing, that they're trying to subsume culture, they're trying to control um, the the power structures because it's that's nice, right? It's it's always fun to be in control, to be completely reflected, to have complete ownership um, and dominance. And and you know these, you know I this is a and these are always long narratives. So this this has been building over centuries, right? These stories are not just like four year cycles. It's not just one transfer of presidential power to the next. It really is the long game of mm -hmm. where the until we hit until we hit a pinnacle of. Uh, Christian malfeasance or uh, misdirection, and then that's when everything comes toppling down. So that's, I don't know if I'll see that in my lifetime, understanding that this is a multi-generational problem, that that toppling okay. over and that research, that regaining of the principles of Christianity will happen or that the principles of following Christ uh, will happen. But that's that's essentially what I think is at the core of Christian mm -hmm. nationalism is this understanding, is this misunderstanding, this I'm not, we're not going to pay attention to what we've been taught, what we understand in scripture. Um, and we're going to just pursue this, this, oppor this opportunity to claim this kind of branding, right? Because people trust that. People, people tend to trust. I mean, I know that the institution of the church is at its lowest trust level um, in, many, <laughs> in many decades. But I think inherently on an individual, you know, one-to-one -one level, is, you know, speaking as a pastor and a chaplain, the amount of trust I immediately um, gain by just entering a room or entering mm -hmm. a space with people tells me that there's still this like really inherent base level of, of support of, of Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's where I think we're heading. I, I think um, that's where we're at. And I think all even in that same story, there are people like you and me, Lauren, who object, 
who <laughs> who see things differently, who are listening. Some in the story, oftentimes those people are called prophets. <laughs> They're the ones saying, "Don't do this." Especially if you read the Book of Judges, mm -hmm. uh, the judges essentially are prophets. They are sent. Mm -hmm. They are sent by God. They're being informed. They are seeing things clearly, and they're saying, we cannot do this. Let us help you. Let, let, let us, the, the judges, the prophets, help lead you through um, what, what, you're, what this is, what this actually mm -hmm. is. And oftentimes, those people are not popular. <laughs> they, are, they are frequently pushed down and degraded. They lose, they lose focus, um, which, depending on how you view things now, could be, see what see is the case. When you see the media, for example, being completely degraded on one end, except for Fox News and mm -hmm. in more extreme versions of right. Fox News now, um, like that's an example of that, of that, mm -hmm. of the voice of one voice being clamped down and one and one voice being lifted up. Um, so I feel like I'm rambling now for oh, you. No, but... no. <laughs> First of all, I think a lot of that is interesting, right? Because we uh, deal with this dynamic of, of I guess what I'm referring to very, very roughly and callously as like uh, humility versus power, right? And how, um, you know, this cycle that it feels like the culture can go through about which is the true representation of Christianity. Um, we know that there are so many perspectives on all the things because um, one of the Beautiful things about our faith, although I don't think this is captured well, is that it's not a monolith, right? And mm -hmm. so, so many people feel differently on so many issues, but what gets brought in as the Christian perspective is often Christian nationalism, is often, you know, right-wing politics and extremism. Um, and so then the rest of us are kind of left fighting, like, yes, I'm a Christian, but not that Christian. Um, at the same time, you know, I'm not saying all Christians have to be like me, but like, I also think they're wrong, like this weird, like, dance you end up doing in an effort to attempt to be inclusive and make room for people to have their own decisions, but also do your best to call out like harmful and toxic behaviors. And so that's sort of the space that I think we're in currently um, and as we transition into hold up, which is where, you know, I try to talk about an element of something that doesn't get enough discussion. I think um, two of the uh, Supreme Court decisions that caused the most, I guess, uh, or, or were attributed largely to uh, Christianity were the prayer in school decision. So there was a decision, I can't remember the name of the case, but a, a teacher was praying in the middle of the football field um, during games. And so the decision was that that uh, is allowed. And then um, Dobbs as well, which overturned uh, the, the Roe v. Wade right to privacy, which was the landmark case on choice and abortion. Um, and so I, I want to take a second there to say, as Christians, right, like, what are uh, alternative, alternative perspectives of that? And I say that, one, because I think it's important to have multiple voices at the table, but also because, you know, growing up in school, I don't know, um, if I'm honest, I, I went to public school in Texas for elementary school, middle school, and high school. I, will, I don't know that uh, prayer was ever not a thing. Right. Like everything from the moment of silence after the Pledge of Allegiance uh, to to, you know, things that would happen in class, you know, see you at the poll, FCA, like it's this very uh, it was a part of the culture. And so there's this idea that, oh, now we can do this or, oh, we've been kept from doing this. When in reality, I don't think in certain portions of the country that was ever, ever really taken seriously anyway. 
I would totally agree. I think I think what the the dynamicism or the the shift that we're going to see is it this kind of at first in those even in those spaces that you just described, Lauren, it was always separate, right? Like we we would pray at the pool. I did that every year. Um, I you would pray. You would go off into the library at lunchtime and and do Bible study with your okay. like minded peers. Um, you know, it was always it was always driven by the community or the students and and in a separate space. Mm-hmm. Now it's being put in the middle. Okay. It's being cat. It's being the. It's being centralized. Um, and essentially, when we do that, we know what that means. It's a it's a tacit endorsement of the institution mm-hmm. or the system. The systems around that is to say, you know, if this coach is allowed to pray on the fifty yard line, then essentially this school, whether it's private or publicly funded um, is endorsing that action um, or that behavior. I, I, yeah, it's the endorsement that, that people are looking for as far as an approval. And there is also a, a power element there, right? So one of the, um, I guess, underlying notions of Christianity, particularly conservative Christianity, is the notion of binaries, right? You are either 100% with God or walking completely away from God. And so um, people's, I find like emphasis in these areas, right, is in an effort to be like on the furthest like possible extreme in a weird way because that's a viewed as like the only option available because anything else would be like complete and total separation from. Um, and it's, it's, if I'm honest, a little scary uh, because it ends up um, creating what I think could really be some hostile spaces for people who don't agree with that. Well, and again, um, just speaking theologically, which I think is what you wanted me to do, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's this real difference between we have to make this, we have to divide this line between prayer and proselytization, and maybe this is something that those arguing against um, prayer and their prayer uh, case um, didn't quite understand. There is an argument to be made, at least within um, Christianity. Uh, again, hearkening back to the beginning, that there's a difference between prayer and what we do in public, mm-hmm. even if we're speaking to God in public. If you look at like Matthew 6, um, that verse uh, talks, those verses talk about um, how prayer is meant to be uh, a private thing, mm-hmm. that we do it in private spaces, even as far as going into a closet to pray alone, um, which makes the sense that in our modern translation that where we actually pray is kind of that private space. It's where we go and we create a sacred space, which is why we do it in a sanctuary or we do it one-on-one or we do it within our family context, because that's where the early Christians were doing that. You know, it was, it was in homes, literally. It was in, in someone's homes, in private, behind closed doors. That's where you would pray. Matt, that same verse, those same verses in Matthew 6 actually calls what this uh, football coach is doing a hypocrisy. It okay. would say doing this from the street corner is, or doing this in public, doing this with a spotlight on what you're doing is is faulty and false and is not is not the what what we would call prayer. So it, there's an argument to be made that what they're actually doing when cho- coaches, teachers, public officials choose to do this from the street corner, 50 yard line, that essentially they're what they're doing is they're proclaiming they're proclaiming what they believe. They're proclaiming their religion, their practice um, 
um, and they're giving language to that. And to endorse that, I think, does violate the Constitution. So it's this it's this interpretation of prayer. Do we because if, if it's a prayer, then it's a private religious, you know, uh, instrument. But if it's proselytization, proselytization, that's a completely I think that moves it into a completely different um, area of understanding. And that is backed up by Christian theology. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually, I think, um, about public prayer being being referred to in that way, um, because that is also what we see in the larger sphere period, right? So I don't know if you've ever been, well, at, at um, I guess, celebrations or other events that um, protesters show up to. Um, or I, I, were you at Calvary in 2017 when um, protesters came, right? And there's yes. often this large showcasing of prayer, right? This huge, um, you know, ostentatious like prayers with these awful languages, um, you know, in an effort to attack and insult people under the guise of prayer. Um, and so that being actually in a completely separate category makes so much sense because even in the moment you can feel the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I definitely see that. And I mean, I, it, it's a, it's a, do you think it's actually like there's any element of this that is actually earnest? I mean, I think, I think uh, anybody who seeks to pray is often doing that. If I take off my pastor hat for a second and put on my psychologist hat, mm-hmm. uh, hat for a second, there there is an expression of need there. There's a desire. Um, I think it. I think it emanates from a positive place in someone. Um, but ultimately, um, there's lots of things that we want to do <laughs> for people that you know they may they may or may not agree to. And and we live in a constructed society. We live in a democracy for this very reason. And any behavior, even regardless of its intention, can become toxic, you know, mm-hmm. and I think, and so that's, again, I think, I think, again, this is more of a move about that earlier conversation about the shift um, in the story towards Christian nationalism, that it has anything to do um, with the, the private personal in, intention um, mm-hmm. of, of this coach or of, of those who, um, who want to do what he's doing. I think that's fair. And I do think that can be a, uh hard to engage with. I, uh, in my experience thus far, often when these conversations are attempted to be had, um, well, I guess even outside of these conversations, I find that faith and um, I guess adherence to it can be used as a deflection, as in a combination of, oh, this is my faith, so it can't be attacked or it can't be questioned or challenged at all and on the flips, but also simultaneously questioning yours in the effort you don't agree. So it's that I'm I'm a Christian and I can't be attacked for, you know, having my faith publicly. And also you must not be a real Christian because you don't agree with me. Um, and it's, it's a really, I think um, it's a hindrance for, for earnest and honest communication, which I think therein makes it a hindrance for a true, true relationship. Yeah, you know, and we're, 
Another Christian principle that I think gets violated frequently in these debates is the concept of unity and the fact that we are actually called to come into agreement with one another. It's not always like perfect agreement, but to strive for that connection. And I think uh, some Christians uh, interpret conflict or disagreement as oppression and attack. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's just illogical. Christ every leader of our faith has been attacked <laughs> or been, been in conflict, even with amongst each other. And it's always part of the process. And I think there's just this like hypersensitivity. I mean, this is essentially, that's patriarchy, right? It is like that kind of um, limp, limp uh, male need ego to be like, a, to be seen, to be respected, to be yeah. adhered to. Um, that's, you know, and that's, uh, that's unfortunate for those who, uh, <laughs> who need yeah. that, who need that validation. Absolutely. Um, and as we transition into I Ain't Sorry, uh, you have, as you noted, done a host of different things uh, professionally and been on your own journey personally as well. And so what uh, is any type of philosophy you've developed that helps you do the work that you do? Absolutely. Um, I was reminded several years ago, uh, right before I took over um, MCC of the Rockies, took over the the pulpit um, of this. There's a saying that I'm that I've I've morphed out of the civil rights movement, and it essentially says, um, you know, when things are dark and grim, love your people, and when that doesn't work and people are still letting you down, the systems of oppression are overwhelming you, love your people, and when that doesn't work and you're ready to give up love your people. <laughs> and so that I've been telling myself that a lot, um, over the, especially over the last month or so. I mean, it's it's been going on for a while, obviously. Uh, but that's what I try to do, uh, is to love my people and to focus mm-hmm. my attention there. Because I think ultimately, that's what I'm called to do um, as a pastor, as a human being, uh, mm-hmm. who, who desires to live in community is to focus in on the community that has been brought to me. Um, or that I, in which I find myself in, which isn't always agreement. You know, it's not always, doesn't always look the same, doesn't always behave the way that I want it to behave. Um, but that's that's what gets me through. Um, and I think that that's a mantra that almost anybody um, across uh, any identity um, could to see is like, who are your people? Identify those people and then love them and then spend your time doing that because that's um, that's what makes it all worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the world always needs more love. Always, always, always. <laughs> um, and it's important to remember uh, so that love is at the center of what we do. Uh, sometimes, I mean, I can speak for myself, I can be caught up in the busyness of it all. Um, mm-hmm. But if it's the love, then it all becomes like actually very burdensome. <laughs> so you've when got you're to- feeling powerless, I was teaching mm-hmm. a class to a group of first year medical students mm-hmm. uh, two weeks, and we were talking about the Roe v. Wade decision to a group of people who are about to enter into situations where they're going to have to help young people who can become pregnant or people who are you know going to become pregnant and don't want to be pregnant right. make those decisions and um and talking to them and they just said like we just feel so powerless like we just don't know what to do and so you know i essentially said that it's like you've really got to find your community and ground yourself and be, and really find um, who you are at the core and, um, and connect with that because that's, and get ready, you know, get ready to fight. It's not, it's a two pronged, (laughs) 
we prepare ourselves and then we we start to battle. And in this case, you know, as doctors, as people who work in a healthcare um, space, is like you know we we've got to just push. We've got to we're we're the experts, right? We're the ethicists. We're the you know the people helping people make these decisions. Um, we've got to keep doing our jobs and not be afraid to do that. And so mm-hmm. it was a hard, it's hard because you want to see young people <laughs> just thriving, especially medical students, brilliant young people. You know, you, you want them to sit there and just like, we're, we're at a loss, you know, like you want to see them dreaming, you know, and, and so that was, that was quite a moment. Absolutely. Dreaming and, and aspiring. Yeah. As a, as a student, you know, you're supposed to be thinking about what it would be like to be in the field. And so if you, yeah, I mean, I guess I always imagine myself to be powerful. And so if you feel powerless before you can get started, that's a really rough, where do you even go from there? Um, so I, I appreciate your work. And keeping that in mind, though, what, if anything, is giving you hope right now? Sure. Um, I'm going to pause. <laughs> um, what is giving me hope? You know, I think there are a lot of people doing really critical work that is really inspiring. Um, and that that gives me pause and helps me see that there can be a way through uh, this, this evolving mess, this growing mess uh, that we see ourselves in. I think about one of my dearest friends and colleagues, Heather Lundy, who um, has found a model to make mental health care more affordable and accessible and has expanded. Um, it's called Kesed Wellness, um, has expanded the reach of that work um, mm-hmm. beyond Colorado where it started and is now in three states and growing. Um, young, queer, <laughs> young, queer, non-binary professional, you know, just like making those things happen. And that's always how the movement happens, right? Like those of us who live on the margins, um, we are often the ones that stem stem the tide and start and start the revolution. And so I I'm encouraged by these protesters, the young women um, singing in the streets saying we're not gonna allow this to be, we're not gonna go back, we're not gonna regress. So I, I do see that and that that gives me hope. Um, and then I just think there's just an, the internal work of spiritual growth that we all need to do is just to, to take pause and to think and to to go within ourselves and say like where what what in me is is speaking to me right now um, and how best can I be of service? And there's plenty, um, plenty that we can each do. And so I've I've always prided myself in my work. I might be a little bit of a workaholic. That's for my therapist to deal with, but um, it's it's there. You know, I think I think it's all within us. We have we have all that we need. Um, we just need guidance and leadership. And I, as I see leaders taking those steps forward, um, including you, Lauren, I think facilitating voice, telling story, um, supplementing media—that's just not getting out there. Um, I think that's this is really critical. Thank you. Thank you. I think that all of that is is very important. And I appreciate that last piece of uh, we have all that we need. I think we can forget that often um, in a lot of spaces I work in and I imagine you work into, you feel um, out resourced, out. Um, you don't have the bandwidth 
uh, what is it, staff-wise, you don't have this, you don't have that. There, all of the, the lack is what feels like is an abundance, but it's important to remember we do have all that we need, which is, which is the resolve to get it done. Um, mm -hmm. And so that, that is so important. And in an effort to lift voice, I wanna join you really quickly on that last question about what's giving me hope right now. Um, mm -hmm. I read a, a, it, was a it was, I guess, a question submitted by a girl. I don't know if you're familiar with the concept on Reddit, but it was, mm. am I the asshole? Um, mm. And so uh, people submit stories from their perspective and question whether or not they were wrong ethically, effectively. And um, this girl in particular started a, um, what she called a hoe union at her college, uh, which is where um, the girls started, you know, just like with her and some friends and then expanded maybe to her dorm, but they put together a group chat with a list of qualifications, you know, they said, you know, no transphobia, no homophobia, no body shaming, no, you know, sexual assault, all these things. And if you go to a party and this happens to you, you text the group chat and we're all leaving. We're all leaving in solidarity with you because you've been mistreated. And mm -hmm. so it expanded and expanded across campus to the point that fraternities were upset, right? Because an action would happen at the party and then the party was over because all the girls would leave because they were upset. <laughs> Sorry, because sexual assault was no longer an option. Sorry. First of all, I find it to be incredibly brilliant on, on yeah. so many levels. Um, and just like a level of solidarity between people that mm. I think is so important, um, especially at that age and all, all of that. But uh, what actually was most disheartening was the, um, the administration of the university said she wasn't allowed to do that. And um, mm. actually clamped down on her and said that 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 she, you know, was not acting properly. And I think, you know, being a young girl or a young person who, who wanted to do this, she sort of submitted this question into the internet and the universe to question if she was wrong. And um, effectively, I've never been prouder of someone I don't know, right? <laughs> Everything from Absolutely. the idea that, you know, it's one thing to have that solidarity between friends, but the idea that movement uh, between marginalized people across a campus like that, um, with the, and then to, to get the action or, or interaction she received, I would, would I want to put out there is like one, wherever you are, I hope you hear this and that know that I am very proud of you. And on top of that, know that the response you got was because they understood the power of that moment. Like in the event that had been innocuous or didn't matter, no one would have said anything, but you received the level of pushback and frustration from the powers that be that did because they understood the power you were holding in that moment. And that's what's very, very important. Yeah, you know, you know, you're doing things right when you get instant criticism, um, and I'm I'm proud of you too, young <laughs> young person. I I would love to meet you and and help you the best that I can. Um, yeah. That's that's powerful, and I want to talk to these administrators and and know what they were influenced by. Was it the name? Was it the idea that um, you know you don't want this topic being so I, publicly talked about. I mean, that's crazy. I had so many questions because I, I also think on the, like, what is the opposing argument? You must stay in a place where you're being body shamed. Like, this is happening at parties and you must remain there. That makes no sense. Um, but I do want to thank you, uh, Pastor Ben, for coming on today and sharing so much of your wisdom with us. In the event mm -hmm. people want to keep up with you, what's the best way that they do that? Yeah, um, I have... Um, Instagram uh, at queer pastor Ben um, 
or you can visit mccrockies.org, which is our website. I occasionally post brilliant blog posts. Um, you can contact the church for support, and there are links to uh, local and, and growing uh, resources. Um, and so that's if you're especially in if you're in the Colorado region and need support, um, we're, we're here for you. And so it starts very local, uh, but we will we will we will expand in, into the fight. Absolutely. Um, if you'll give me one moment to wrap up here. Sure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unbossed, Unbothered and Unfiltered. If you are looking for the show, you can find us at Unbossed, Unbothered, and Unfiltered on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find all episodes at Unbossed, Unbothered, and Unfiltered.com.